What is up, everybody, and welcome to Mysteries with Mommies. I am your host, Angie Thompson, and with me is my beautiful co-host, Kristen Bakke. Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, getting ready for a Thanksgiving break. Very excited for some time off of work. Amen to that. One more week, five days, right? Five days. Five more days without hurting anybody. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> no promises. Um, <laughs> right. So, so I do want to acknowledge to our our faithful listeners. This is actually the second time we're recording this episode, so Kristen might not seem as shocked as she normally is. Um, I do have some new information <laughs> for you. <laughs> I did find some new info, but we always want to provide the best quality information and recordings to our listeners so I just didn't feel good about the last one so I asked Kristen to uh, give up a little bit of her Sunday morning so that we could re-record this episode to hopefully make it a little bit better. So hopefully we we don't we're not professionals but we do like to give a hundred percent right Kristen? That's right we sure do. 110 percent 110 well you know this time of year maybe 99 (laughs) maybe maybe so i also want to acknowledge that i am currently recording in my bathroom so if it seems a little echoey um the acoustics are not great in here but the dogs were barking and howling at something outside so i did not want that in the background however my Pain in the ass cat Preston is running around playing with a Nerf bullet. And so he might get in the way sometimes. So if we hear, damn it, Preston, that's all it is. But I do love my kitty very much. He is sweet and cute. And we all love him, but just not right when I'm recording. And that's right. Yeah. Conditional love. Conditional love. Yes, exactly. Here comes my other kitty looking to see what all the noise is about. So we'll see how that goes. So, all right, well, we're going to get into it because, again, like I said, I did pull Kristen away from her Sunday morning, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. So, this case is from California, the state that Kristen chose for this week, and it is about a young lady named Mitrice Richardson. Mitrice was born April 30th, 1985, to Latisse Sutton and Michael Richardson, and she was raised by her mother and stepfather in Covina, California. She graduated in 2008 from Cal State Fullerton with a bachelor's in psychology. She actually was working to become a teacher and she did an internship with a forensic psychologist who was trying to convince her to go to graduate school um, to obtain eventually her PhD in psychology. Um, One thing that Mitrice did know is she did want to work with kids. She basically, um, her mom described her as a rainbow and a light that shined on everything she did. Uh, Growing up and through college, she did several beauty pageants. She was a dancer. There are some videos in one of the documentaries that I watched um, that showed her dancing. So she was um, a much better dancer than I am. Um, but she did classical <laughs> dance like, yeah, 
I mean, she did like ballet and things like that, you know, classical dance. Oh, that's um, beautiful. Yeah. And her mom said everything she did, she did, you know, to the best of her ability. And that's just the type of person she was. Whatever she wanted to do, she gave her full effort. And everyone basically said the same thing. Um, everyone looked up to her. She had younger siblings. They looked up to her nieces and nephews and cousins. They, she was the oldest of them, of the cousins, and they all basically looked up to her. Uh, she's a beautiful young lady, uh, contagious smile, and all of that. I will post pictures of my trees on our social media on Facebook and Instagram if y'all want to check those out. Um, so my trees went missing in 2009. In the fall of 2009, she broke up with her girlfriend of two years. And her family and friends said that that's where they started to notice a change in personality in my trees. Uh, she just didn't seem as put together as she normally is. She didn't care as much about, you know, looking as much as she, she probably looked more like I do than what she would normally do. You know, normally she would get <laughs> up and do her hair and her makeup, whereas I get up my hair and you know did it ever say why they broke up um no it didn't I didn't look too much into it I just felt like that was private business the girlfriend was never a suspect in it well I was just wondering like if she broke up with the girlfriend and then kind of maybe went into like a little bit of a downward spiral it kind of seems like that's what happens when someone breaks up with you you know yeah I do know the girlfriend uh, I'm almost positive the girlfriend did break up with her. Oh, okay. Okay. Or something. Gotcha. Matrice was very upset about it. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's when they started to see a little bit of changes, almost like in some things like manic episodes. It came out later that they think she was um, maybe bipolar. It was starting to, because, you know, at that age in the mid 20s, that's a a time where a lot of people are diagnosed with bipolar. That's when the symptoms really start coming out as your early to mid twenties. So that would put her right about that age. So they think maybe that breakup was kind of what set her over the edge. Yeah. A trigger. Yeah. 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 So on September 16th, 2009, she sent a text to her mom that said, and this is a quote, watch the news today. It's going to shock the hell out of you. And she also sent some unusual texts to friends that same day saying that she was part of the universe and part of nature and like that sort of thing. Like she was enlightened by nature and, and all that, which was very unusual for her. Her mom actually said she was not the type to enjoy nature. She was a city girl. She was, you know, born and raised in L.A. So she was a city girl, not not the nature type. So um, and actually. Later on, after the disappearance and months on, they were trying to figure this out. And Dr. Rhonda Hampton was the forensic psychologist that Mitrice interned for. And she went back through and was looking through Mitrice's fake Facebook posts and even MySpace. I guess MySpace, it must have been right at the end of MySpace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a path. 
Remember, that was the passive way. I thought that ended up back in, like, the early 2000s, like, late 90s. Well, yeah, I don't know. So, 2009. I don't know. That switch from MySpace to Facebook. I just remember that was the passive-aggressive way to (laughs) tell your friends you were mad at them. Like, you take them out of your top five friends. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, what did I do? Um, So... And between, so on September 16th, between 8.35 a.m. and 1.36 p.m., Dr. Hampton counted 66 rambling Facebook posts. Hmm. Just random. I think one said something about, I'm tired, but I'm going to go do this. Let's see where it takes me. And just like random things, uncharacteristics of that. But 66 posts from 8.35 I mean, that's like five hours. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, was she is. ever someone who was known to take any kind of drugs or substance abuse? No, she was not. She was never. So maybe that one. was part of that that manic, if she was bipolar, that was part of that, that manic phase. That's what um, Dr. Hampton and her mother uh Latisse think as well. They think that was that through this whole thing, this disappearance and what we're going to describe later was a manic. She was having a manic episode. Okay. So that night of September 16th, she decides she's going to drive to Geoffrey's. Again, I mentioned this the first time we recorded. It's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. Should be Jeffrey's, but it's Geoffrey's. If anyone wants to go there. Um, in Malibu, which is about 40 miles from where she lived in East L.A. with her grandmother. So she gets, she gets out. She, you know, parks her car with the valet. Then she gets into another car with the valet. I believe it's his car. And she starts going through the CDs. She starts speaking gibberish because he's like, hey, what are you doing? And then she starts saying things like she's from Mars and she's here to avenge Michael Jackson's death. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, definitely not normal. No. Um, the valet initially tried to talk her out of going into the restaurant. Obviously, you don't want someone who's who's in that state of mind to go into this fancy restaurant. This is one of those places where a lot of famous people go. And I found a list of, you know, a bunch of people that we would know uh, that go there. That makes sense as to why they pronounce it like that then. You know, since they pronounce rodeo as rodeo, it all makes sense now. (laughs) If you're rich, you have to. You have to say it the way it actually looks. You have to say it in accent it differently. Say some kind of fancy accent. I will never be that rich. Unless I win the lottery. No, me either. Um, so lots she goes fun. in. Huh? No, I was, I was telling you, like, where I interrupted you, was it, there was lots of famous people that went there. Yeah. Uh, it didn't say any. It didn't say any that night. I don't think there were any in there that night. Okay. So she goes in. She orders a steak and a drink. And as she's waiting for her order, she sits down at a table. There was, you know, kind of a big group of people. And she sits down at their table and just starts talking to them. So they said, when they're describing this, they said she didn't seem drunk. 
but she was very, something was off and she was very eccentric. Again, with them, she was talking about being from Mars and things like that. So, yeah, that's obviously something that doesn't <laughs> seem right. You're sitting with a group of strangers and you're saying that you're an alien. So, yeah, that something's off. Something's off. So, but they let her stay at their table. She wasn't, like, like I said, they weren't, they didn't feel she was drunk. She wasn't being belligerent. She wasn't disturbing anyone. She was just having these, you know, eccentric conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So, the bill comes. It was $89. She said she couldn't pay the bill. She had left her wallet and phone and purse in the car, so she didn't have anything on her. And the only, so they said, well, let's call someone and maybe they can bring, you know, a form of payment down. The only number she could remember was her grandma's number. So the grandmother said, okay, here's my credit card, you know, over the phone. But then the manager declined that. He said he wanted like a hard signature on it. And the grandma was like, I'm 89 years old. It's dark. I can't drive 40 miles to your restaurant. Yeah, what's weird to me about that is if anyone was like, oh, I can't pay because I left my purse in the car, then you would just say, okay, we'll go get your purse and come back and then we'll give you the food. Like you wouldn't start calling around to people to see who who can come pay. Like it, the grandma would have to drive further than her walk out to her car that was in valet. So, well, and that's part of it is that the staff, the manager and the hostess and the whole staff, they didn't think she was in any state to be driving. Yeah. So they didn't want her, they didn't want to let her go and be like, okay, fine, go to your car and get this payment at the risk of she would drive off and they didn't feel she was safe driving. That And that says a lot about them for actually caring enough. For a stranger that's coming to their establishment to try to keep them safe. Oh, absolutely. So, um, shout out to the Geoffrey staff that was there that night. And they actually said, and we'll go along with how the police handled it, but they actually said that if they could go back, one girl said, I think she was a hostess, said if she could go back, she would not call the police. And we're going to find out why. And we are going to find out why. Yes. But that's a very powerful statement that you needed help and you said you would not call the police. Yes. So um, that was a very telling statement. So the staff calls the police at 740 p.m. They did so, like I said, they felt she was not safe to drive. They knew she wasn't drunk. They they didn't even feel 100% that she was on drugs. They knew there was something. She should not be driving. So the whole point was to get her help. They thought, well, if we call the cops, then they can take her to the hospital or somewhere to get her help. So three officers from the Malibu Lost Hills Sheriff's Department come, and they talk to my trees. One officer made a comment to one of the employees that she just seemed dingy, which I guess translates into... She's crazy. We don't want to deal with her. Yeah. You know, like she's just a, she's just a crazy person that, 
you know, belongs on or the she's, street. Uh, she's kind of like an airhead. She's kind of like an airheaded person. And so therefore, like her ramblings aren't really anything of importance or anything for them to take of importance. Correct. And they actually weren't going to arrest her because not being able to pay your bill is just a citation. And they also did a search of her car, which I don't know why they just didn't take out her bank card and pay. Exactly. If you had to search and her purse was there, then you could pay for the food. (laughs) Yeah. But they did find a very small, like, personal amount, like, personal use amount of marijuana. Not something. It was, like, 0.1 gram. I mean, it was very small. You know, maybe get a couple of hits off of it. Not anything. Mm -hmm. Like, she wasn't selling. So, they found that. So, they said, you know, even that, that amount was a citation. So they weren't going to arrest her. And it was actually, again, the staff of Geoffrey's that said, okay, if you're not going to take her, we want to do a citizen's arrest. Oh, wow. I didn't know that was even a real thing anymore. No, but now that I do. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start, we're going to start citizens arresting a lot of people. No, watch out, assholes. I'm coming for you. <laughs> That's right. So carrying around some plastic handcuffs. I know. <laughs> zip ties. <laughs> and zip ties. There you go. Citizens arrest. Oh. oh. There's so many people on my list. I know. I know. <laughs> so they do, since it's a citizen's arrest, they have to take her in. So they put her in the back of the car. They arrest her. And they booked her. Um. At 9.50 p.m., and they did say for possession of marijuana, and the official charge was defrauding an innkeeper. And her car was impounded with her purse, ID, and ATM card inside. And the interesting thing is that the impound lot is 9.8 miles from the station, and that'll come into play later. Well, I guess a positive, if you look at it from a positive standpoint, maybe they were trying to find a reason to have to hold her to try to see if her mental state changed or if she was on something and she would sober up by being there overnight. So maybe the, you know, kind of invented reasons to arrest and not give citations was someone's way of trying to watch out for her in that moment. Well, that's the thing is she did pass a field sobriety test. So she was not drunk or intoxicated in any way. Okay. So they knew so... It, it wasn't that. And they could technically have held her on what was called a 5150, which basically says that you can hold somebody until you can get a professional to come in, like a mental health professional to come to come evaluate talk to that person. Okay. So she Which didn't seems have- more fitting to do that than to charge her with the defrauding of an estab or an innkeeper and the um the drug charge. That seems more fitting is to have her checked out instead. 
Oh, for sure. But the officers there said that they didn't feel like she qualified for a 5150. However, they did not have the training to determine that. I guess there's one officer that, I forget what they called them, um, that is trained in that to come in, talk to the person, and say, yes, we can hold them on a 5150, and then call in the correct people to, say, take them to the hospital. But they said, oh, no, she's fine. We don't see any reason to hold her on a 5150. And it's funny well, it's not funny. Nothing about this is funny. Um, but what's weird is that in one of the documentaries I watched, Dr. Hampton, who professional psychologist, said that um, she's like, there's no way. They had, they had no right to say that. They have no training. They had no right. You had, and it ended up being nine witnesses at the restaurant telling you this was her behavior. This was not okay. We called you because we didn't feel she was safe to drive. Right. That alone qualifies her for a 5150 and to get someone down to evaluate her. Well, yeah, I mean, that's somebody over. Well, like you said, it goes back to their comment about her just being dinky. And so they weren't taking it seriously. The things that she were saying was actually possibly something more on a mental level than someone just kind of being an airhead. Yeah, they said that in the cell she acted calm, like she was fine. But even her mother pointed out, like, if you're in jail, no matter how intoxicated you are, you're going to try to, like, act right. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Or mental, like, I mean, like, truth be told, like, I was diagnosed in my mid-20s as bipolar, so I understand, like, the craziness you go through until you are diagnosed. And as soon as you get to that, like, thank God I didn't do anything to get arrested or in jail. But as yeah. soon as you yeah. get to that thank place, God. yeah, I know, right? Um, as soon as you get to that place where they're observing you, you straighten up real quick. That makes sense. Yeah. Probably some you, nerves, some anxiety going on there too. Well, and you don't want to be there. Yeah, no. Yeah. I wanted to be out there doing my thing. That's right. You wanted to, you she know? wanted to be out there avenging Michael Jackson's death. Yeah. And you see that a lot. I say, you know, in the mid 20s, I always tell people the story that, you know, when Britney Spears had her breakdown and then it was determined that she had bipolar and manic depressive and all that, that she was mm-hmm. having a, basically a manic breakdown and that's when they diagnosed her. And I told everybody, I understand what she was going through. Like, that's almost what happened to me. I I didn't get an umbrella out trying to hit people, and I didn't shave my head. But I understood, like, that manic, like, you can't control it. And I think maybe my Trice was going through that same thing. And it's if you don't know, if you haven't had that feeling, it's very hard to describe. But basically, it's very hard to control your actions. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So then, okay, here's another part. So the police said, oh, we can't hold her. She was acting fine. So later on, after she's been missing for a few months, her 
family, like through this whole, they're like, do you have any footage of her inside the jail? They did show footage of her exiting the jail, which I'll talk about all that in a minute. But they said, is there any footage inside the jail, like in the cell, so that we can see what her behavior was like? Which they should have footage, you would think, all throughout the jail. Yeah, absolutely. There should be cameras everywhere. Yeah, and they said no. And finally, they went to, it was the captain, and I am going to call people out on this. So originally, they were told by uh, Captain Thomas Martin of the Sheriff's Department that no, no video exists. So they sat down in January of 2010, on January 6th, with Captain Martin and the current sheriff of L.A. County, Lee Baca. And basically, Captain Thomas all of a sudden goes, oh, here it is. It's been in my desk. What? How did it get in your desk? Exactly. Exactly. You knew it existed. Yeah, so they do eventually see the tape. And she was, her mom said she was acting weird. She was like grabbing at things that weren't there. You know, she was pacing back and forth and think she was not calm. Interesting. So that was one of those covering up your ass kind of situations. Yeah. Yeah. And there were even jokes around the sheriff's department of officers that worked in that jail uh, that people had overheard, like reporters and stuff, that they would joke about, oh, I'm glad I wasn't there that night or I'm glad I wasn't a part of that. Mm, that's not so you know something yeah. shady's going on a, a, a lot of shady's going on yeah so going back to that night so they say okay we can't hold her during this time my Teresa's mom does call I guess grandma got a hold of her does call the sheriff's department and said you know is my daughter there her name is my Teresa Richardson you know, is she going to be released tonight? What's going on? If she's not going to be released tonight, I'll come get her in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the officer said, no, we'll, we'll process it and she won't, she'll stay here the night and we'll release her in the morning. So mama's thinking, okay, I'll drive first thing in the morning. Cause we have to remember this is very late at night. It's 40 miles away. In an area that even mom doesn't know. So she's thinking, okay, my daughter's safe there right now. I'm going to wait a couple hours to go and get get her. her. So they assured her she would be fine. And she even said to one officer, and you hear the recording of, you know, I just fear for her safety. And the officer kind of laughs it off. And it's like, oh, no, she's safe with us. And she said, I don't. She says, I think... She's safe with you guys in your custody, but I don't want to wake up and hear the news tomorrow that some girl wandered off and was found with her head cut off. Which is a legitimate concern whenever you're unfamiliar with an area. If you get released late at night or in the early morning hours where it's dark, absolutely that's a good fear to have. Her car was almost 10 miles away. Yep. So... You know, she was worried that, no, 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 she'll be released in the morning. She was actually, I guess, technically it was in the morning. 
if you want to get real technical, at 12.38 a.m., Latrice is released from prison. Mm. And Which was not what the mom was told. No, correct. She was like, I mean, it, they made it seem like maybe 5.30 or 6 in the morning. So 12.30 is not 5 or 6 in the morning. So she had no belongings returned. They didn't offer to drive her to get her car. Um, one jailer did offer for her to stay at the jail. She you know, she offered her a pillow and a blanket, and Matrice said no. And the sheriff, every time they would do a press conference, they would state, and it was really weird, it caught my attention. One time he goes, well, you know, a jailer, she's been working for us for, you know, 10 years or whatever it was. You know, and she's an African-American female officer. And I'm like, why are you throwing that in there? Yeah. Like, you're trying to cover your ass that, oh, well, my Trees is African-American. So there's no shady business going on because our African-American jail officer tried to help her. Yeah. I do think that was really kind of her to be trying to look out for her and realize like, that it, it was not probably a good idea for her to leave even though she had been released yeah for sure Uh, but at that point you know she had gone through the whole process so she technically wasn't under arrest so I mean she wanted to walk out she was an adult so she couldn't keep her there right so she walks out the door there is a camera outside of the door so she walks out no belongings in the dark middle of the night and two minutes after she walks out an officer whose shift supposedly ended walks out right behind her. He says, I didn't see which way she went. Later on, he says, no, I wasn't there. And then they show the video. Oh, yeah, I was there, I think. Like, his story kept changing. Interesting. And it was actually, he ended up being transferred to another department. Really? far away. Now, you would have to have a reason to be transferred. No, he I just transferred. So she is released into the dark, no belongings, no car. There is said, oh, we assume she'd take the bus. There are no buses that run at 1 o'clock in the morning. The last bus, I think they said, runs at like, in that area, runs at like 745. Oh, They know that. They know the bus schedule. Uh, Yeah. And where this is, it's up in a canyon. And a lot of people described it as there's, it's like a windy road through the woods, through a canyon. There's some places where there aren't guardrails. So if you don't know the area, you're walking in the dark, depending on how lit it is, that's a very dangerous place to be walking. And they, one lady actually, a witness said, was interviewed while she was searching for Matrice, and she said she had a very similar experience. She was arrested for a traffic violation. It was not any kind of drunk driving or anything like that, and they let her go in the middle of the night. Oh, that's and just so really she started scary. Walking. Now I don't, I don't know the procedures on like being bailed out, bonded out, released. What? how all that goes. I know that it takes some time to process paperwork and things, but that just doesn't seem like a safe practice 
to release people at that time, especially if there's no one waiting there for them to take them or to pick them up. It seems like they should have to either have, you know, like, um, I don't know, an Uber driver or a cab or I don't know if cabs still exist or something, you know, that some kind of transportation to take them from there to wherever their destination is or just some kind of a safe place if they're going to release overnight like that. Yeah, this lady said that she was walking along the road and she remembered some co-workers that lived in that area and they would say, they would talk about all the wild animals. So she's like, okay. And then a car passes by and this guy offers her a ride and she's like, well, do I want to get in with this strange man in the middle of the night or do I want to risk it with these wild animals? She ended up getting in the car. Um, she said she thinks the only reason she was safe is because she held on to that door handle the whole time she was in the car ready to jump out if he tried something. That's smart. But so now you're putting, you know, my trees yeah, in the same position. Mm-hmm. And one retired police officer said that that was unusual because it is custom for police officers in that situation to offer someone a ride home. That it okay. So mm. they could have some an an on duty police officer yeah. could have said, "Can we take you somewhere?" They could have gotten her to the impound lot was probably closed at that hour. Could have gotten her at least down to a city where there were people, a bus station or something. Yeah, something more than just, you're good, you can go. Yeah, because I've been in a couple car accidents, and the police officers, you know, if I couldn't drive my car or if it had to be towed, they always offered me a ride. They offered me a ride so I wouldn't have to, like, ride with the tow truck driver. Mm-hmm. And, or said, you know, where can we take you? I mean, always very nice, and, and made sure I got where I needed to go safely. So she goes off in the dark, and at 6.30 a.m., a man named Bill Smith, who lives up in the canyon, sees my trees, or who he thought was my trees, it matched her description, in his backyard. This is about six miles west of the station, and at the bottom of what's known as Dark Canyon. I will post maps on our social media, because all of this gets confusing, so I'll have the major locations marked out and stuff like that so he sees this woman in his backyard at 6 30 in the morning him and his wife call out are you okay do you need something and she said no i'm just resting so he gets dressed and by the time he gets out there she's gone so pretty could be pretty quick yeah um he said that it's with the canyon and stuff like that, it's a big backyard. He said the only way to really get into the yard, because it mostly, it's mostly fenced and stuff, is behind it there's a horse trail and, like, public land. So you could, like, go through the woods and find your way into someone's yard that lives there. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't impossible. But, um, you know, she did just disappear probably back into the woods after that. So um, she goes missing. 
Her mom's trying to call. Well, when can we put a missing persons report out? They're kind of ho-humming. Well, she left and she's an adult. And her mom's like, well, is it 24 hours? Is it 48 hours? When can I get this report done? And they were just like, not well. Let's see if she makes it home and calls back in 24 hours. And her mom's like, I don't even, she doesn't even know where her car is. She doesn't know the area. She's by herself. She doesn't have her phone. How is she going to, you know, make her way home 40 40 miles away? She has no resources. Correct. So on September 17th, so the next day there was a potential sighting. It was never confirmed. There were a bunch of, through this whole thing, the 11 months that this ordeal goes on, a bunch of uh, potential sightings. None have been confirmed, so we can't go on any of that. I'm not going to mention them just because that takes too much time and it's really not of any significance. Okay. So on January 9th, 2010, there is a search of the Malibu Creek State Park, which is the area where she was last seen at that guy's backyard. So this is January. She disappears in September. The police kind of did some like small searches, knocking on people's door in the neighborhood, things like that. And they kept promising her family a big search. And her mom is like, okay, but when are we going to do this? Her mom got um, with a missing persons group and they basically kind of took it upon themselves. Her mother, everything I've watched, I never saw her cry. She is so put together and she's like, we're going to do this. We're going to find my daughter. We don't care what the police say. And I, I, you know, more power to her because I would not be that calm in public or anywhere if my kid went missing. Yeah. So she, um, she, my gosh, I don't even know. Um, I would love to meet this woman just to say you're my hero as a mother. So January 9th, they do this search. The police are bragging, oh, it's over 200 people. We're putting a helicopter in the air. We're searching on the ground. It was the LAPD and the LA County Sheriff. They're doing this massive search. The family goes, obviously, and then it's called off at 4.30 p.m. It was supposed to be a two-day search. Yeah, that's not the time. Yeah, it's still light out at 4.30. So her family's wondering, okay, you have this massive two-day search. You're calling it off on the first day at 4.30 p.m., and that was it. That shows that it wasn't a priority to look for her, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely not. Not at all. It was more for show or just to check a box off and say, oh, we did this. Yeah. Like, oh, look what we did. We had 200 people search. We put helicopters in the air. Um, So on, so they don't really hear anything. There's some, again, some sightings. On March 28th, Mitrice's mother gets with this uh, group of volunteers and they search six different locations in the area. They go through Skid Row, Malibu, Calabasas, Santa Monica, and Hollywood. So basically, they're scouring the L.A. Good for her mom and good for all those people that volunteer to go and look for her as well. 
Yeah, so they're just like, well, if the police aren't going to do it, we're going to do it. At one point, there's they get drones up in the air. Nothing is found. They do see, on one of the searches, they see a trailer down at the bottom of the canyon. That turned out to be nothing. Just someone living in a trailer at the bottom of a canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in May of 2010... Representative Maxine Waters asked the Department of Justice to review the case. She argued that Matrice's rights were violated when she was released without a phone, a car, or a purse. The Department of Justice said there's not enough evidence. Mm, There's not enough evidence for her stuff was sitting in a car and impound. So she couldn't have been given it the video of her walking out of the jail by herself with nothing let's go back to that there there wasn't enough evidence to really even arrest her to begin with and hold her for those two offenses that were punishable by a citation there wasn't enough evidence for that there was plenty of evidence for her to have some kind of a mental psychiatric evaluation so Things seem a little bit backwards in that area. Yeah, it always seems like when someone doesn't want to do anything, um, there's never enough evidence. And actually, one per- I was reading an article, and it was a retired police officer, and they even made the comment of, well, if you do a 5150 hold, there's a lot more paperwork than if you just book someone and release them on minor charges. Oh, okay. So it was about them not being inconvenienced. Yeah, who wants to fill out paperwork? Who wants to fill out paperwork? Nobody. Got it. Oh, not it. Not me. So that doesn't go anywhere. There were a few times that they asked the FBI for help. (laughs) The sheriff did. And the FBI was like, nope. Nope. No, thank you. Because of how, like, effed up this all was. Mm-hmm. So in June of 2010, there were sightings in Las Vegas. One was of a former high school friend. He said he went up and talked to her and said, hey, my trees. And she looked at him and walked away. Then there were like 70 sightings in Las Vegas. I guess um, her dad even went out there. But her mom, I tell you what, again, her mom, she's like, I know my daughter. There's no reason she would be out in the desert gambling walking the streets of vegas by herself she is not there so quit wasting time because the la sheriff went out there all of that which Mm. if you're the la i'm sure the las vegas police could handle it well but if you're trying to make good on something that was really botched you have to make it and again to check off a box and say well look what i did i went out there and personally looked into this matter So it just goes back to covering up their tracks from things that were mishandled. Oh, okay. Got it. That's what I think. Okay. Um, So fast forward to August 9th. So we're 11 months out from when is August 9th, 2010. So we're 11 months out from my trees missing. And a park ranger is walking through a heavily wooded area in the, Um, Dark Creek Canyon area. And he was there searching for, I guess it is a popular place for 
someone, I don't know who, because um, at one point the drug cartel was mentioned and I, you know, I don't do, I don't mess with them. I feel the drug cartel gets mentioned a lot in these stories. I'm not, you know, and I think it was just, I don't know. I heard it once and I was like, nope, I'm not going to look into that further. You do you. I am not going to get into your business. Um, the drug cartel and the mob. Yeah. Don't want to know. Not Not my thing. I don't care what you do. Don't care. Just don't tell me about it. I'm not going to look into it. I am not a detective. So anyway, so he was looking for, I guess, like an area where that's known for growing marijuana plants. So he was just doing a rain, you know, a normal check to see if there were any that were growing. He was going to destroy it, all that stuff. Um, and he found while he was walking, he found some human remains. And the first thing he found was a skull. And it should be noted that this is eight miles from the police department that my trees was released from. So it was along the road that she was released. And it's, again, in the same area where she was seen at that guy's house. Like that same, that's the same canyon area. So she's been in that area this whole time. It was just so so sad. I know. And so she, uh, remains were found. First the skull, and then they found the rest of the remains. Uh, They were naked and mummified. I did look up how long it takes a body to mummify. Ooh, that's good. In nature. Yeah, because that's information I need to know. (laughs) So, like, out in nature. Huh? I said, no, it's information that I need to know. Oh, okay. Well, in case you want to know. In that area, in that type of environment, it takes two to three months for a body to mummify. Okay. So mummify and start to decompose. So where this gets interesting, before we get to the part that's really going to anger you. So she's found in Monte Nido or Dark Creek area. And so this mummified Naked body is found, so two to three months to mummify. So that puts us at, this is um, August, so July, June, May, even if we go back to April, but in November of the previous year, a resident had called, I don't know, whoever you call if you see like a sinkhole in your yard. I don't know what who that would be, um, whatever department of the city that would be. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of rain, and this older lady called and said, there's like a, a dip here in this area. She was walking her dog or something. And they go and look, and they said it looked almost like a shallow grave. Oh. And so they called the police and said, hey, you know, this is going on. And they said, okay, we'll send someone out to look at it. They never sent anyone to look at it. What? So 
they were looking around. There was like one of those sewage tunnels around there. And, you know, they didn't really see anything in there. You couldn't, just there was so much rain. It could have been washed out from all that. So this was November right after she disappeared. So two months after she disappeared. Okay. Okay. So this guy is talking to, because at this point, people are starting in the area know about my trees missing. So he starts talking to the woman and then some other neighbors and they were like, oh yeah, um, not long, a few days after she went missing, we heard a scream. <gasps> and then we heard another scream that sounded like it was cut off. Oh my gosh. And they, I guess, did the scream that they heard and said, yeah, it sounded like, you know, you're screaming. You scream cut off because, like, you got murdered. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that was a few days after she goes missing. And then in November, they find this what could be a shallow grave that was never investigated. So how's understaffed this police department say that they were? That you're getting, uh, like, phone calls and you can't go check them out? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So that could have, and even the guys said, like, this, if they would have investigated, this could have all been taken care of. Or had they searched the canyon area? Right when she went missing, she could have maybe been found alive. A lot sooner. Well, especially whenever you have someone say that she was sighted, like, in their yard to rest. I mean, it just kind of seems like you would go and start searching that area or where she could have possibly walked yeah, they when knocked she on, left there. They knocked on neighbors' doors, but the guy said, you know, there's this horse trail behind us in the woods. Why wouldn't you at least look on the horse trail? trail? Exactly. And it is a dangerous area. There are parts where, like, you go and then all of a sudden it falls off because it is a canyon. But still, there's, like, binoculars and stuff. There's, I mean, that park ranger got down there where she was found. So, and at this point, before November, there was that, what looked like a could be a shallow grave. So, it wasn't that far in. Mm. So, I don't know. So, fast forward again back to when her remains are found on August 9th, 2010. So, the police finds her body. And it was in the evening by the time they get there. They called the coroner. The coroner said, okay, we're going to be out. The coroner initially was sent to the wrong place. They were given the wrong coordinates. What? Okay. It's a shit show through this whole thing. Is what it, it is. really is. This is terrible. Yeah. So it was going to be like two hours later than what they thought. Well, the police didn't want to wait those two hours. So they went ahead and airlifted the remains before the coroner got there. That, I don't, I don't know. I have nothing for that. There is so, that's not even... That can't even be, like, uh, allowed. I don't see how that's even something that's possible. 
No, because be, that's to be thought who about doing the scene. Yeah, that's yeah. You have process and protocols. Yeah, everybody knows that. I know that. You know, you don't do it. It's just like you hear if you find a crime scene, don't touch anything. Wait till, you know. So they airlift the remains to the coroner. And basically, he says there's no evidence of foul play from what he can see. Now, the crime scene was not processed because the coroner wasn't there. Right. So, how do so you, know you only have a mummified body to go on. They did find some clothes of hers about 400 feet downstream. And they found, uh, found her belt, her bra, and her jeans. And they said, oh, well, it could have been wild animals. Or it could have been, like, with the rain and it being downstream, the water rushed it off. Well, the family did not trust the police, so they hired a forensic anthropologist named Clea Croft. Um, And this woman is badass, let me tell you. And she makes the argument, she's like, the clothes were basically in perfect condition. She's like... You could go and wash them and wear them. If animals had, like, taken, like, tried to get the clothes off to, like, eat the body, there would be rips. Yeah. It would be torn apart. It would be shredded. So she's like, yeah. Um, She's also like, how is the water rushing? And she's like, it's not even in the floodplain. But if it was, how is the water rushing going to take her bra off but leave her two shirts that she has on? Right. That's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or even an animal. But because she was wearing a long sleeve shirt and then like a t-shirt overneath and her one Mm -hmm. arm, the way it had mummified, her elbow was bent and it was like her hand was up by her cheek. So it was bent. Mm -hmm. So how is an animal going to? Do that and get that clothes off. Yeah. So um, they still have not found her underwear, tennis shoes, or socks. The parents actually never saw the clothes. Her mom's like, well, let me see the clothes. I can identify if those are my daughters or not. They never saw it. And the clothes never got tested. Which they probably had DNA on them from whoever actually removed them from her, not the wild animals. Probably. And that's what the um, anthropologist said. She's like, they didn't process the clothes. That could have left hair. She said the hair that was around the body was too mummified and decomposed to test. But she said there was when it was when they went back. And looked at it again, the crime scene again. I guess there was a uh, pubic hair that was found. That what? Been tested. There were. She's like they didn't look at the um, oh, like the bugs. What are oh gosh? What are the bugs that eat you? Um, the larvae that were there because they said oh, as they okay. like, yeah. yeah, as they 
um, shed their shells or something, they leave behind the evidence of what they ate. Yeah, that makes sense. But like a pubic hair would be like holding the smoking gun. I mean, how does how does that not get tested? Well, nothing. Well, the wasn't really searched. One thing um, that she did notice, um, Mrs. Croft, or probably Dr. Croft, I'm going to say, Dr. Croft did mention was that the cops did not pick up like any neck bones, particularly the hyoid bone. And that's the bone that you can tell if someone's been strangled or not. Mm. So they never found that bone. No, so this is a that kind of say that maybe the person that did this knew that or I I don't know, like was able to remove it or, you know, to tamper with the evidence that would be needed to show that it was foul play. Yeah. And that actually was the reason or one of the major reasons why the coroner said he did not believe there was foul play because, because that bone wasn't there. That bone wasn't there, so he couldn't say it was strangulation. So the manner of death was never, it said it was like inconclusive. So there was no cause of death. And this was all stating on, stated in a press conference on August 12th. So they have a press conference three days later. They say, we did identify the body. It is my Trace Richardson. We did so through dental records. Her parents are outside of the press conference. And that's when they find out that was their daughter. That is horrible. They were not. They should called. have been they told privately. They should have been notified privately. Oh, and way before. And they again, they did a like cover your ass press conference. And the one guy, I don't even know who he was. I didn't care who he was. But he was like, oh, well, if Mr. Richardson would test check his answering machine he would find a voicemail from us which if you're gonna leave that on the voicemail screw you you do not leave that on voicemail that what happened to sending an officer out to the the house to notify the family yes yes you find them and you wait to announce it publicly until you notify the family so the family is thankful for the press because that's how they found out about a lot of this information because the police wouldn't talk to him. At one point, um, her mother said that the police hung up on her. Oh, my gosh. That police station needs a lot of training on just how to do their job and how to handle dealing with families of victims. Well, fun fact, um, Sheriff Baca, remember I talked about him with the videotape? Yeah. He- he actually, uh, years later, ended up getting, uh, I believe, transferred. He lost his sheriff status because, or he went into an investigation. No, was taken to court because of inmate abuse and the conditions of his jails. Oh, that makes sense. Uh-huh. And hiding tapes uh, that show how someone's yeah. acting. And yeah, that makes oh, sense. Anyone that was like high up involved, like they were all transferred or there were the guy that actually hid the tape, that captain, he ended up having charges with Baca. 
And it was just, yeah. They So that's the kind of characters we're dealing with. Mm. So, oh, it gets better. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, listeners, I hope you're ready. So, Latrice's mother and I'm assuming her former boss um, and some friends, they wanted to hike out. And actually, um, Dr. Croft, they wanted to hike out to where the remains were found because they wanted to put like a little memorial there to my trees. Her mother kind of wanted closure, you know, like if you're there at their place of rest. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know sense. how people yeah. Are. Yeah. Yeah. So she wanted a, a um, sense of closure. So they go out there. First of all, the police would not tell them exactly where the remains were found. Why? What is that? Why does that need to be hidden? I don't know. So, mm. so they're like going, they're trying to, you know, get through this area. And they come across a finger bone. Mm. It ends up being my treases and it wasn't buried. They weren't digging through the ground. They weren't there to try to find evidence. They were there to do this memorial and have this closure. It was just laying under some leaves. Oh my gosh. So it wasn't like, you know, it had gotten like an animal took it and it had gotten buried or it was like in an animal den or something. No, it was just like some leaves blew and there was this finger. So it it was hiding in plain sight, and they weren't able to uh, find that and recover it, probably because they didn't actually search the area and just grabbed whatever bones were visible. That's yes. terrible investigating. That, well, and that's horrifying. Think about her mother. Yeah, to find your child's body part yourself. Yes, like that's, I don't even know, like. Um, so, so they find that. And at this point, her mother does ask for, uh, my remains to be exhumed because they want it mm-hmm. tested again. And also to put the extra bones inside the casket with her. Right. Which again is horrifying for me to yeah. think about. As a mom having to go through the grief from. Losing your child and finding her remains and finding more of her remains. That poor mom has been through it. So they exhume her body. They test it again. And same conclusion. That there was no foul play. Yeah. Awesome. So that's where the police left it. No foul play. But again, no search was... I mean, like, you find this bone underneath some leaves. What else could you have found? Like, why wouldn't you go back and search it again? Why wouldn't you have searched it the first time? This is just completely botched in so many different areas, and it doesn't do justice for my trace or for her family or give them any kind of comfort or closure as to what happened. No, and like I said before, the uh, sheriff's department did request for the FBI to get involved. At one point, my Teresa's family requested for the FBI to get involved. And at first they said, no, it's been the chain of custody. 
as but basically they said hell no we don't want to get involved in this mm-hmm. uh, but eventually they did and like i said the according to any type of law enforcement it was not foul play so that's where it was left now one last piece of the puzzle is that while there was a search in the area there was a mural discovered that was very graphic very pornographic and it featured all african american women in very um sexual poses mm. and like some of the words were like afro hoes <gasps> that's disgusting yeah and it was right at the path where like on the way to my Teresa's body. So there's this mural that, you know, very graphic, just horrible. Like they showed pictures of it in the documentary and it's not something I want to ever see again. No, that's disgusting. So later on in another area close to like the drainage where I talked about the shallow grave area, there's a very similar mural, same type of stuff. That kind of seems like ritualistic or some kind of a um, cult type thing, doesn't it? Yeah. So, and they even in the documentary, they put the two side by side and showed like the similarities. Mm -hmm. It was the same people. You can tell it was the same people. That did both of them. The same perverts. So eventually the people who did the murals or said they did the murals, they turned themselves in. Oh, good. They were never charged. Well, they were never charged. Oh. Because, and again, my Trace's family and, and her friends there, uh, her aunt too was a big part of this. And they're like, how are they not charged? Like, apparently at that time there was a big, like, we're going to crack down on graffiti and vandalizing and stuff like that. And they're like, these are very, pornographic, very large examples of vandalism Mm -hmm. and you're not going to do anything and how much it costs the city to paint over it. Yeah, that's extremely disturbing. Maybe they knew somebody in, in law enforcement and so they got off because they knew somebody. Yeah, and the excuse was, well, they cooperated. But cooperated with what? Yeah, <laughs> with saying that, yeah, I drew that disgusting picture. Okay, you can leave now. Yeah, so uh, so that was another. And uh, so everyone, Matrice's family and friends, they think that has something to do with it. Just, it was just weird. And the place where, like, it described to go, I don't know. It was just. It's almost like someone killed her and was bragging about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just disgusting. Yeah. So, and the guy that found the shallow grave, he said, he made a comment, and this just gets me with as far as how long it took to find her. He said, you know, if they would have come and searched in November when we had called them, they would have probably found her earlier because we think that we were out sniffing around 
and someone was watching and they saw that and then they moved her body. Oh. Which That's scary. Would explain you know like the mummification cuz I said 2 or 3 months. Yeah. Even if you go back, I mean obviously it's going to continue longer than that, but like if the position that she was in and if they had her clothes with them, maybe they accidentally dropped them. Yeah, that would make sense. And left sense. a trail yeah. up to her left remains, or maybe they left a trail for themselves to mm-hmm. be able to find the body again. Because you know how sometimes people are, they go back to the body. Yeah. So That makes sense. Yeah, at one point they did. I guess bring cadaver dogs out to that area and they kind of stopped at that area. Like there was no body, but like, oh, there could have been a body there. We smell something. Yeah. Which would also, yeah, show that it was moved. So that is, that's the information we have of right now. Latrice's family did sue the, um, the sheriff in the city and, got I believe it was like nine hundred thousand dollars for that which is no condolence um the mayor <laughs> when the when they he was called out for the graffiti thing mm-hmm. he was like oh well and then all of a sudden a thirty thousand dollar reward for information pops up from the city what again they're covering their tracks so um that's there's still a reward out for any information. But at this point, you know, someone knows something, but I feel like it's been too long. I just feel like if the crime scene had been processed, if her clothes had been processed. Absolutely. Things could have turned out differently. Or if they someone would I don't know why they didn't call the police when they heard the screams. Yeah, I don't I don't either. But it seems like this police department probably wouldn't have done anything anyway. Correct. They probably would have just been like, oh, well. Yeah. They would have been like, whatever. So. Um, hopefully some at some point they'll get some more answers as to who did this. Um, again, law enforcement says there was no foul play. There's not enough evidence to prove suicide or anything like that. They think she had a mental breakdown. And went off to the woods by herself, and which is weird. Like, why would you just take off some of your clothes and then, and then randomly just lay there to die? And then, yeah, that's what, and that's what her mom said. Her mom's like, she would not go into if she. Her mom thinks someone picked her up on the road because she's like, again, she was a city girl. She would not go near the woods. She did not like bugs. She was afraid of the dark. So if she's in this manic state or even coming down from a manic state and you're thrown out into a dark wooded canyon area in the middle of the night and you see a car, just like that other lady did, like you're going to weigh your options. Mm -hmm. So I think the wrong person maybe picked her up and, and that's what happened and she could have been. And if she was in a manic state, obviously her judgment wasn't the best. Like, she just went up and started talking to a table full of strangers. Right. 
Right. She might not feel threatened if someone offers her a ride. And again, that police officer that left right after her, what was he doing? He should, he should, two minutes later, if he went and got in his car, he should have seen her somewhere. Right. And as an officer, even if you're off duty, you would, I would think you would want to make sure that woman was safe and got her in a safe place. Yeah, you would think that any any man, whether they're an officer or not, would be looking out for a female alone at, at that time of night. So, that's what I've got on that. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I, I agree. I think that a lot of this could have been avoided if the police just hadn't been called from the beginning for her to even get taken in or tangled up and that police department there. That's really sad. Yeah. And I do want to put a disclaimer on there. I know a lot of these cases, um, it shows a lot of mistakes that the police have made. And it seems like we're coming down hard on the police. I do want to put a disclaimer on there that these are isolated incidents. I know several police officers. My children's stepmom is a police officer. I hold the highest regard for them. My cousin was a police officer, so please don't think that we are bashing all police officers. Unfortunately, the few bad ones seem to outshine the the majority that are good ones. So I do want to put that disclaimer out there. Right. So, and then my last thing I have to say, if you feel that someone you know or love is dealing with a mental illness, please get them help. Please call a a mental health professional, get them to a hospital to get evaluated, Um, trick them into going to the hospital, tell them you're going to get ice cream and show up in the (laughs) ER. (laughs) However you can get them there, but... um, Or if you're struggling with mental illness, please make sure you get help. There is help out there. I hate to see that be any reason for something bad happening to someone. So um, as I mentioned before, I am not embarrassed by my um, bipolar diagnosis. I have a wonderful family. I have wonderful friends and have been good for about 20 years since my last episode. So. Um, That's awesome. It is possible to to get that help out there. And um, hopefully more people will do that because it is a very scary thing for the person, for the person out there. Um, So, Kristen. Yes. Weekly question. What state are we going to next? Let's go out to Arizona. Arizona. We will go to the deserts of Arizona, the hot, deserts. hot deserts of Arizona. Okay, so we'll see the land of cactuses. I actually love Arizona. I went out there a couple times. It's a great I've state. I've never been. So it's nice. You should go. It's very, uh, it's very pleasant. Quiet I'll put it, and I'll put it relaxing on if you stay away from the major cities. Huh? I'll put it on my list of places to visit. Put on your list of places to visit. Um, 
So thank you everybody for joining us this week. Again, I apologize for it being two weeks since our last podcast episode, but again, I was sick and then we just didn't feel good about about the initial recording of this. So life happens. Hopefully with all of this stuff going around, the flu, strep throat, and all that's in between, everyone is staying healthy. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Thank you so much, Kristen. I appreciate you. Thank you, you Angie. Good job, always. as always, with all your details. Well, thank you. Yeah. I try to do a good job. You do. You do a very good job. Thank you. So, listeners, thank you again. Go to our social media on Facebook and Instagram, Mysteries with Mommies. Give us a like and a follow on there. Also, please give us a like on whatever platform you are listening to us on. It really makes a difference. We want to get these episodes out to as many people as possible because we want these all of these crimes to come to an end for closure for the families for society in general. And once again, thank you so much. Bye.